Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be bringing you part one of two of the case of Amani Moss in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Let's get right to it. Amani Gabrielle Moss was born on April 23, 2003, and from the very start, her life was rocky. According to the Gwinnett County Daily Post, Amani's mother struggled with drug addiction and was the victim of domestic violence at the hands of Amani's father, Amon Moss. Eleven Alive reported that sometime in early 2004, when Amani was still an infant, Amon Moss was charged and convicted of battery and child cruelty for beating Amani's biological mother in the child's presence. At some point soon thereafter, the biological mother surrendered her parental rights to Amon Moss. At the time, she was still struggling with her addiction and was in no condition to raise a child. It doesn't seem like Amon Moss was in a position to raise Amani either, but for whatever reason, he was given sole parental custody. He wouldn't be raising her alone, however, and according to court testimony, he had plenty of support from his mom, Robin, and sister, Sharonice, who frequently cared for the little girl. According to court testimony, Amani was Robin's first grandchild, and she was definitely treated as such. For several years, she and her father, Amon, mainly lived with Robin, and at times, Sharonice also resided in the home. Although Amani's biological mother wasn't in the picture, she did have two strong women who played a major role in her life. They loved her and she looked up to them. Despite a rocky start to life, things began to look up. When she was three, Amani was enrolled in ballet at the Susan Chambers School of Dance. And by five, she was taking guitar lessons at the Gwinnett School of Music. Amani loved learning and did well in school. She was thoughtful, kind, and brought joy to her family and every classroom she stepped foot in. Around late 2008 or early 2009, when she was around the age of five, another woman came into Amani's life. Her name was Tiffany, and at first, she was just a friend of the little girl's father. You see, Tiffany and Amon had met at Freedom Christian Church in Gwinnett County. Amon and Amani attended the church pretty regularly, and they frequently bumped into Tiffany at services and small group get-togethers. Tiffany was always so kind to Amani during their interactions at church. She was a pre-K teacher, so it just kind of made sense. As Amon began to get to know Tiffany, sparks between the two flew, and it wasn't long before Tiffany asked him out on a date. Amon, of course, said yes. Tiffany was smart and beautiful, and she seemed to naturally accept Amani. Things progressed rather quickly. That first date turned into a second and then a third. And after about six months of dating, Amon proposed. In July of 2009, the pair were married at a ceremony at Freedom Christian Church, the place where they had met. From the outside looking in, it appeared their love story had come full circle. 
And for little Amani, she finally had a mother figure in her life. She had always had her grandma and auntie, but now she was getting a stepmom. It all seemed like a fairy tale, or maybe a Hallmark movie. A single dad raising a little girl falls in love with the pre-K teacher, they get married, and live happily ever after. Or at least that's how it appeared on the surface. In reality, nothing could have been further from the truth, and things were about to go to hell in a handbasket in a hurry. Initially, after they got married, Tiffany moved in with Amon and Amani. At the time, Amon lived with a roommate who had a young daughter of his own. This roommate was a longtime friend of Amon's. In fact, they were so close, it was less like just a friend, and the two men were more like family. And that was the living arrangement for a short time, because now that they had two incomes, Amon working in logistics often as a forklift operator, and as I've mentioned, Tiffany as a pre-K teacher, the newlyweds were able to move out on their own sometime in early 2010. And that's when the signs that something wasn't quite right at home started to show. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, in February of 2010, then six-year-old Amani cried hysterically at school, telling her counselor that she didn't want to go home after getting a less-than-perfect grade because, quote, she was afraid of what her parents might do to her. Now, there's some conflicting reporting about exactly how that report was handled and whether or not it was reported to law enforcement on its own or if that incident was brought up when the next report was made. Either way, Amani Moss had a fear of going home. And on March 19, 2010, the reason would be crystal clear. March 19, 2010 started out like any normal school day at Cooper Elementary School in Loganville, Georgia. That was until Amani's teacher noticed deep bruises on the little girl's arms. When the teacher asked Amani what had happened, she said that she had gotten into trouble for not doing her homework and had been beaten with a belt. School officials contacted the Gwinnett County Police Department and they responded to the school at about 3 o'clock p.m. Sergeant King noted and documented the bruises all over the then six-year-old's body. Amani had bruises to her arms, legs, back, and chest. Some of them prominent enough you could make out the buckle of the belt and see where she had been struck with such force that the belt had wrapped around nearly her entire arm. Amani was taken to police headquarters and calls were placed to her grandmother Robin, Amon, and Tiffany Moss. They were asked to come down to headquarters to talk. Both Robin and Amon came immediately. But Tiffany Moss conveniently had car trouble. She showed up roughly three hours later with her mother, Pearlie. In all that time, she wasn't able to cook up a good story, though. And when she sat down with Sergeant King, she admitted to striking Amani with a brown leather belt for not doing her homework, telling the investigator that she had sent Amani to her room and gave her five minutes to complete her homework. When Amani didn't get it done in time, Tiffany Moss said she had struck her with a brown leather belt, but claimed it was only three to four times. At one point, Tiffany actually demonstrated how Amani had raised her hands over her head to protect her head and face. Amani was placed in the custody of her grandmother, Robin, and Tiffany Moss was placed in handcuffs. Police notified the Department of Families and Children, and a case was opened on the Moss family. But it wasn't the first, second, or even the third time DFACS had contact with Amon Moss 
in his daughter's six years on this planet. In addition to the conviction in 2004 when Imani was an infant, according to documents obtained by WSB-TV, there were two reports in 2003 and 2005, indicating that caseworkers found inadequate food, clothing, and shelter, as well as evidence of emotional neglect. Both claims were later found unsubstantiated by the Department of Families and Children. In 2008 and early 2009, DFAC's caseworkers reported that they were concerned Amani may have been sexually abused when she was five. The report noted a change in the child's emotional state. It reads, Amani has been acting strange by crying more than usual when she gets frustrated. When Amani was asked if anyone was bothering her in an inappropriate manner, she told the defects worker, If I tell anyone, then I would not be able to see you anymore. According to those reports, a caseworker spoke to Amani alone at school and discussed her home life. But somehow, again, no concerns were found and the case was closed. In case you're keeping track, that's a total of five past reports before Amani was beaten by her father's new wife in 2010 for a grand total of six. But DFAX finally acted and Amani was placed in the care of her grandmother. Tiffany Moss later pled guilty to cruelty to a child. She was sentenced to five years probation and would never be able to work as a teacher again. With only one income, money got tight. So Amon and Tiffany moved out of their apartment and into Tiffany's mother Pearlie's house near the end of the summer of 2010. Meanwhile, little Amani was thriving in the care of her grandmother, Robin. She didn't have to live in fear anymore. She was doing great in school and was happy by all accounts. Robin tried to get permanent custody of her granddaughter, but Amon and Tiffany put up a fight and the Gwinnett County Department of Families and Children already had a reunification plan in place. Tiffany Moss would have to complete anger management counseling. Amon voluntarily agreed to a fatherhood program which consisted of parenting classes, and they all agreed to in-home counseling. After six months, a completion of the counseling and a handful of supervised visits, Amani was removed from her grandmother's care and placed back with Amon and Tiffany Moss, aka her abusers. This despite the fact that now both Amon and Tiffany had been convicted of child cruelty charges involving this very child. So now, Amon, Tiffany, Amani, and several of Tiffany's family members were all residing with Tiffany's mother, Pearly Brashear, and there was another addition to the Moss family, because in early November of 2010, Tiffany gave birth to a baby boy. With a new baby in an already crowded house and Tiffany going from a preschool teacher to a full-time stay-at-home mom, tension ran at an all-time high. Not to mention the fact that Tiffany Moss resented Amani and seemed to blame her for her arrest and not being able to return to her job. A fact that Amon Moss himself would later testify to in court, stating ever since then it was a love-hate relationship. It was always something they couldn't get along. Let me just get this straight. This grown woman resented the child she had abused for losing her job working with small children. Okay, Tiffany. Nearly a year later, in the summer of 2011, the family had saved up enough money to move out of Tiffany's mother's house and into an apartment on Club Drive. Another year passed, and according to 11 Alive News, 
In May of 2012, DFAX was contacted again by Amani's school, this time to report emotional and psychological neglect after Amani told her teacher that Tiffany Moss had allegedly hit her on her back and in the head with a belt because she was eating breakfast too slowly, which would make her late for the bus. According to the report, Tiffany hit her three times, once in the living room, once in the bathroom, and once in the bedroom. The school nurse treated Amani for the injury to her back with an ice pack. Department of Families and Children did open another investigation, one that was quickly closed, despite the fact that Tiffany Moss was still serving probation for abusing Amani the first time. A DFAX caseworker spoke to Amani, her stepmother, and her teacher. And no concerns were noted by the caseworker. And the case was closed with no additional action being taken. And further, the actions reported by the school were, quote, identified as insignificant and determined to be corporal punishment. Apparently, in the county of Gwinnett, in the state of Georgia, striking a child with a belt in the head and back for eating too slowly is the same as swatting a child on the behind as a punishment and is completely acceptable. I can't with this. Two months after that incident, and Amani couldn't take it anymore either. Amani was now nine years old. She had reported her abuse on multiple occasions, and every single time those that were supposed to protect her questioned her and then handed her right back over to her abusers. In yet another attempt to save herself, on July 2, 2012, Amani ran away from her father and stepmother's apartment on Club Drive in Lawrenceville and straight into the leasing office of those apartments, telling staff she wanted to run away because of her stepmother. Staff at the apartments contacted Gwinnett County Police, and Officer Hill was dispatched to the location. The officer spoke with Amani, who detailed yet another account of abuse. According to court testimony, she told the officer that a week earlier, her stepmother had tied her to a chair using belts and put her in a cold shower as punishment. The officer looked over Amani and didn't see any injuries, other than a small red mark which Amani said happened when she burned herself cooking. The officer went to speak to Tiffany Moss at the apartment, who of course denied any of that had ever happened, telling the officer that since her previous arrest, she no longer enforced any punishment on Amani and all discipline was handled by her father Amon. And then, like a page right out of the playbook for manipulative abusers, Tiffany turned it all around on the nine-year-old little girl, saying that Amani was just acting out because she was resentful. Resentful of the fact that Tiffany had married her father, and resentful of her new baby brother and new little sister on the way. Yeah, Tiffany Moss was pregnant again. And again, everything was all Amani's fault. I want you to remember Tiffany's claims that Amani was resentful towards her baby brother because they'll be important later. But for now, Officer Hill, with no evidence to corroborate either story, did what he thought he could do. He took an informational report and sent it to both DFACS and the Special Victims Unit of the Gwinnett County Police Department. It seems the report landed on a couple desks, but unfortunately, that's where it stayed, and nothing was done. Fast forward a few weeks to July 25, 2012, 
and a call came in to Gwinnett County Dispatch. The caller was Amon Moss, and he was calling to report his daughter, Amani Moss, missing. According to court testimony, Amon Moss called 911 on July 25, 2012, at approximately 11.15 p.m., after he arrived home from work and found that nine-year-old Amani wasn't in the apartment. Officer John Kirshner responded to the apartments and spoke to Tiffany and Amon, and according to Tiffany, at approximately 9.30, so almost two hours prior to the 911 call, Amani was in the kitchen doing dishes when Tiffany walked over to the laundry room to start a load of laundry. As she was in there doing the laundry, she heard a door slam and a few moments later realized Amani was gone. So she looked out the window, didn't see her, and searched around the immediate area, but couldn't find the nine-year-old. Tiffany claimed it was the fourth time the girl had ran away in the month of July alone, so she just waited until her husband got off work and he had placed a call to 911. It was a stupid story, but she stuck to it. Officers searched around the apartment complex and almost another two hours passed before a citizen at the apartment complex next door to the one the Mosses lived at found Amani sleeping in the bushes. The officer asked why she kept running away from home, but Amani shut down and wouldn't talk. The only thing she would say is that she didn't want to go home because she'd be in trouble. This child felt safer sleeping alone in the dark in random bushes than in her own home. But for reasons unknown to the good Lord Jesus himself, the officer returned Amani to Amon and Tiffany and charged Amani Moss with runaway and curfew violations. That officer later claimed on the stand that he made this decision in hopes that Amani could be held in the juvenile justice system. Some excuse is better than none, I guess. And once again, Amani was failed by the system that was supposed to protect her. By September of 2012, Tiffany gave birth to her second biological child, this time a little girl. The family could no longer afford the apartment at Club Drive, so they moved back in with Pearlie Brashear. And for a time, there were no calls to defects, and Amani seemed to be doing well in school. A clear pattern was developing. When the Moss family lived with relatives and other adults were present in the home, the abuse and neglect seemed to slow down, or at least it was hidden. But it wasn't as hidden as you might think, because Amani's paternal grandmother Robin and Auntie Sharonese suspected all along that something was wrong. Robin had tried time and time again to get custody of Amani, both through the courts and by pleading with her son to just give her her granddaughter. But he refused. And after Department of Families and Children had taken Amani out of her care and placed her back with Amon, Robin hadn't been able to spend hardly any time with Amani because her son and Tiffany wouldn't allow it. In fact, from the moment Amani had been taken from her in the fall of 2010, Robin had only seen Amani once and that was at a birthday party held for Amani's younger brother. The party was held at Pearlie's house, and Robin noticed that Amani was more reserved and that she appeared then. The next time Robin saw her granddaughter was Mother's Day of 2013, when Amon brought the family over to Robin's for an impromptu celebration. 
Sharonice was there with her children as well. And while both women were excited to see Imani, they were shocked by her appearance. She had looked thin the last time Robin had seen her, but now her shoulder bones were protruding. The once happy and bubbly girl was timid and quiet. And her hair. Amani always had long, gorgeous hair that she liked to style in two or three ponytails. But Amani's long hair was gone. It had been crudely cut, too short to even pull back into a ponytail. Robin confronted Tiffany about the little girl's hair, asking why it had been cut. And Tiffany responded, If you act ugly, you should look ugly. Sharonice was also shocked to see Imani's hair, so she asked her brother what had happened, but she got a different story. Amon told his sister that Imani had cut her own hair, but Sharonice didn't believe it. After the gathering, Robin and Sharonice placed a call to DFAC with concerns about Imani, particularly her weight. Shockingly, no action was taken once again. And little did Sharonice and Robin know, this would be the last time they would see Amani alive. Over the next several months, Robin would call and text Amon, asking to see her granddaughter, and Amon would say he'd bring her by, but he never showed. Sharonice stayed in contact mostly by phone with her brother, and in August of 2013, Amon told her something that made her heart drop. While they were chatting about this and that, Amon said Tiffany was going to be homeschooling Amani that year. Tiffany, who had two small children at home and had been convicted of a crime against Amani. Tiffany Moss, who could never step foot in a classroom to work again due to that crime, was going to be homeschooling Amani. Yeah, it didn't sit right with Sharonice either. She later testified, quote, Something in my spirit just told me something wasn't right. So she did the right thing and made another report to the Department of Families and Children, telling them that she was suspicious that Amani was being neglected, voicing her concerns again about Amani's weight and stating that Amani was, quote, distant and appears to be afraid to interact. The case was screened out and the caseworker took no action because DFACS had no current address and no current signs of maltreatment. I repeat, an accusation of neglect after a string of reports was screened out without anyone from social services ever laying eyes on this child because they didn't have an address. And if you don't lay eyes on the child in question, you can't exactly see the signs of maltreatment, now can you? And I just have to say it one more time. Tiffany Moss was still on probation for child cruelty charges. Come on, Gwinnett County, get your shit together. That report was dated August 6th of 2013. The following month in September of 2013, the Moss family moved out of Pearlie's home and into apartments on Veranda Chase Drive. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath apartment. And in order for the family to afford the place, Amon had to work two full-time jobs as a forklift operator. His first job started at 6.30 a.m. and ended at 3.30 p.m. It was his routine to come home after the first job, 
change clothes, grab something to eat, and maybe catch a quick nap before heading to his second job, which started at 6 p.m. and went until 1 or 1.30 in the morning. The only time Amon was home to see the kids was for a brief period between the two jobs and on the weekends. The more Amon worked, the more it seemed Tiffany became frustrated with his daughter Amani. Tiffany frequently texted Amon while he was working, accusing Amani of all kinds of things, from smearing feces on the wall to putting feces in a bowl of oatmeal. Behaviors that no one in the history of ever had ever witnessed from Amani, besides Tiffany herself. Amon didn't see it either. Because even as he heard complaint after complaint about his daughter, he never saw any evidence of these wild accusations. However, he chose to believe his wife. With the new apartment, homeschool, and Amon's work schedule, Amani was more isolated than she'd ever been. First, Amani had her grandmother and aunt taken away, and then school. School had been her safe space, but that was gone too. And now her father? With Amon working 16-hour days, Amani was spending almost all her time with her stepmother, Tiffany Moss. That would prove to be fatal. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, less than three months from the date of that last report to Department of Families and Children, and 10-year-old Amani was dead murdered in the most brutal way imaginable, and initially blamed once again, this time for her own death. There's so much more to Amani's story. I'll be bringing you the conclusion of Amani's case next week. But before we go, I want to leave you with a couple of clips of Amani's fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Neal, testifying about who Amani Moss was. Because the picture her stepmother painted was of a child who hated her dad's new wife and was resentful of her siblings, defiant and troubled. But that was a damn lie. Amani wasn't the monster. Tiffany and Amon Moss were. Amani Gabrielle Moss was resilient and kind, thoughtful and bright. Did she participate in your class? Yes, yeah. She, she completed all her projects. And um, she was a wonderful friend to every student, even a bully that she tried so hard to be friends with on a daily basis. Um, One time she wrote a letter to me and to the bully and said, let's just be friends. Let's forget about what happened. And she said, Miss Neal, I'm sorry for the meanness that um, this child and I had. And, you know, we'll be nice to one another. And she just was a precious girl precious girl. When you said that, that she, so she and the other child that, and you say a bully, um, was there a child that was difficult in the class and had trouble being friends with, with any of the students? Yes. Yes. And by that, did Imani actually have an incident with her, um, while she was in your classroom? Just just shouting. Just, no, (laughs) not an incident. I mean, I think the child was mean to her and she would just keep trying to be nice and maybe she would get ignored or whatever, but she just, she just always kept trying. She was always wanted to help people. Were you aware if Imani had any siblings? Yes, she had, um, she adored her little brother. She would light up 
her face would light up. She would talk about him, and she would tell me, like, all the cute little things, because he was, I think, about two. He was a toddler at the time, and he would um, say these cute little things, and she's like, oh, Miss Neal, he said this, and her face would light up. She loved him so much and was so proud of him. That was something that she told you just kind of in, in passing. It was not something that you would prompt or ask her about? Yeah, no. She would just come out and say, she, he did this, he did that. Her face would light up. I took pictures of all the kids just doing the event so that I could share it with their families and, and then show the kids, like, at the end of the day or the next day. And Imani was having so much fun. She had the most beautiful smile, and that's what I'll always remember about her. She was so precious. Um, oh, P.S. 24, we were writing on Martin Luther King Day. I always had the kids write um, their, I have, their own I Have a Dream speech. So this is her smiling in her pink. She loved pink. Um, writing about that. And then P.S. 25 was um, we did a project, like a historical character project, and um, so they made a little puppet, and then they shared about that character. School was her safe place, so she was always smiling. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you the conclusion of Amani's case next week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already because you don't want to miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.